And so I just want you to know as we come into this first sermon of the new year, uh, I am hoping that we can just process through some things together. And, and, and hopefully it'll be something that, that touches our hearts. But it is definitely uh, just good to be with you. Go ahead and switch to my screen. I'm going to have us do this. Um, want you to know that today's message is a standalone. I'll get into that in a minute. And then next week, uh, we start a series uh, that I, I've never done this before. I'm bringing back an old series from a few years ago and redoing it. I've never done that in the history of me being in ministry, so it'll be an interesting thing. But I'm excited for the series for what it says about us and what God says to us. And so hopefully you'll come back for that. I think God's going to be doing some great things. Um, I love messages that, by the way, hurt my heart, meaning I need this as much as you do. Amen? So I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, and hopefully you'll hear this. Um, I uh, want you to know this came out of, uh, there was a, a, a devotional I was doing where someone had just said, think of the mantras that have come out of Scripture. For example, uh, get out of the boat, talking about Peter getting out of the boat, walking on water, that faith to step into that moment. Or setting sail, and the idea that the Holy Spirit, his winds uh, blow wherever they go. Do we put up sails and let him take us the direction that he wants us to go? And so when you think about it, there's a lot of these in Scripture. Another one is um, 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 uh, grip the plow, which Jesus says, those who grip the plow and go forward and don't look back. But one of them that caught me was uh, this one called wreck the roof. And the reason why it caught me is I've made this clear throughout the years. This is my favorite story in the Bible. It is, uh, for so many reasons. And so if someone would ever say, what's your favorite story? This is my favorite story. And so because of that, I'm like, hey, it's the new year. If I get a shot at one sermon, why not do my favorite story? Why not do the thing that has spoken to me so much over the years? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you have the YouVersion app, the verses are already there. They're loaded up for you. You can see those. Just go to the bottom, find events, and you'll find Cedars Church, and then you can be connected with us. But this concept of wreck the roof. So what are we looking about? Well, it starts in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So we're going to walk through this a little slowly. Let me show you this. It says, and when they returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Jesus, born in Nazareth, raised in Nazareth, claims Capernaum kind of as his home base. It's where, by the way, Peter would have been from, John would have been from, And so when it says that he was at home, chances are he's at Peter's home. Meaning they've done a journey, they've come back, he's already began this ministry where people are seeing him heal people and love people and do these things, but he's back home. When I got to go to Israel, by the way, if you ever get a chance, go, 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 go to Israel. But I was in, my favorite, one of my favorite stops was Capernaum. Um, You're able to be in this city where some amazing things take place. And I got to teach, actually, in where the synagogue is in Capernaum, which is, was mind-blowing to me. And you can go down and see the rocks that would have been there at the time that Jesus was there. It's crazy. But Capernaum was really kind of a place that he would come back to and that he would kind of, like, kind of reset himself. And so, again, he makes these journeys and he comes back at home. Now, and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, And he was preaching the word to them. Now, by the way, all four Gospels tell the story in some form or another. I want to show you what Luke adds uh, to this information. This is Luke 5.17. On one of those days, he was teaching. 
Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So when he comes back home, this group, literally teachers, Pharisees, the high, those, they've all kind of made a pilgrimage to Capernaum, knowing that's kind of his home base. And so this house is not just filled with people from Capernaum. This house is filled with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. They're all sitting there and they want to be taught because this, this kind of blew my mind because in this, they are kind of figuring out, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? And they want to hear from his teaching. And by the way, it's, a, by the way, appropriate for them to do so. It's appropriate for them to put him through his paces, to hear the things that he is saying, to check what is going on. The problem is he already has a disadvantage. He's hanging out with 12 guys that they would have never thought the Messiah would hang out with. Fishermen, tax collectors. And in this, this idea that they're, like, they're, they're trying to say, look, his words are so true, but he's not the picture of what we expected. I mean, he was born in a barn in Bethlehem. He's not this Messiah on high with power, the one that could take us to uh, power over Rome. And so again, they're trying to distill this image of what they want their Messiah to be, and the words that he is saying are coming into collision. But they're in this room, and he is teaching them, but it says in Luke, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So again, wherever he went, people wanted to be healed. It's a very needed thing. You, you have an ailment, you have something wrong with you, you need to be healed. Let's go back to the Mark passage, verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, It is hard for us in a society that, by the way, um, focuses on how do we make sure we take care of those who are handicapped. Make sure we have ramps and make sure that we have access and make sure there's appropriateness to think about a culture which, by the way, none of that would have been there. If you became paralyzed, you were at the mercy of those who loved you. Maybe, maybe if you had wealth, you could pay for people to take care of you. But a common person, chances are you're not going anywhere. And what we have is, is that these four men, for whatever reason, loved this guy. Because what happened was, is that there became, listen to me, hope. Jesus has been healing lepers. He's been healing the blind. He's been healing the deaf. And so what happens is these four of them go, maybe. Not just maybe, but probably. Not just probably, but we're going to put this into action and we're going to get our friend there. And I, I can just imagine this process See, the thing is, he would have been on a mat. You guys ever done the thing where you would take someone on a blanket, throw them up in the air, right? Everyone grabs four corners kind of a deal. That's kind of the picture. He's laying on this mat. They each got a corner, and they're carrying him to Jesus. Now, their hope is Jesus will be in this place. All these healings are going on. They'll get my, their friend in line. They'll, they'll, they'll go whatever line they have to get through, and eventually they'll get him to Jesus. They were not ready By the way, I don't think this is a pre-plan. They were not ready for what they came into contact with. And they could not get near him. Let's look at that. 
and they could not get near him. Here's what's interesting. What do we do at that moment? And that's the crux of where we're going to get. We have been saying, and this is why this is going to hurt my heart as well, that we want to be a church that has you reach your inner circle. And we can say that, and we can want that. But the reality of who we are as human beings is that when it comes to spiritual sickness, spiritual paralyzation, we're not as passionate as these guys getting their friend to Jesus. We're not. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to stir trouble. Maybe they don't really want to be saved. And so there's a lot of friends in our inner circle, a lot of people in our inner circle that we don't have the passion of these four friends. That when they got to this point, and when they could not go near him, the answer would be, well, we tried. We gave you the old college try. We picked up our friend and carried him here. Up, can't get to him. They removed the roof above him. Here's the moment. Now, I used to be a youth pastor for eight and a half years. I have told this story many times. And I want you to understand you need to go with me that the Bible doesn't give us details. So I'm going to add a little flavor. I'm not telling you it's scripture. It's flavor. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think the four guys got to the house, saw the crowd, Jesus inside. They can't get in. And then they sat him down. Now, let me tell you my theory of guys. Some of you have heard me say this. If there was one guy with a paralytic, I don't think he does the next step. Does that make sense? But you add two guys together, and either bravery or stupidity begins to grow with every guy that you add to the combination. This is a known law. Does that make sense? Actually, ladies, the more of you you get, the more you calm each other down. The more guys you get, it's like, sorry, hold my drink, watch me do this. So what happened was, is I believe they sat them down and there became a holy huddle. And they began to whisper and the paralytic guy's going, hey, 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 hey. What are you guys talking about? Shh. Okay, you get rope, you get a shovel, we're going to do this. And again, because there's four of them, it became like, yeah, this makes sense. What makes sense of digging through the roof of a neighbor's house? No, no, no. Really sitting on that. I want you to think about just on your street or where you live, pick a random house going, yeah, he'd be fine if I dug through his roof. He'd be good. No. So here's what's interesting is that these four guys, so one guy ran and got enough roof, Rope to tie on the corner of all four. So they each, right? Because by the way, think about lowering a guy down. You got to have this. One guy gets some kind of shovel or a pick. They, by the way, if you don't know how houses were made back then, there's always like a rooftop where you would do like laundry. It's where you would do different things. So there was always an outside um, stairway that would get you to the rooftop. So as this place is packed, all of a sudden they grab him. And, start, and, and I'm sure he's, he's going, uh, where are we going? We got you, man. We got you. They drag him to the top of the roof and begin 
to take shovels and begin to pick at the roof. Now, Jesus sitting there, all of these Pharisees and teachers are sitting there, and they hear, tink, tink, chunk, chunk. And I love this moment where a little bit of dust begins to fall down. And Jesus looks up. Everybody is what? Looking up. And then, if my math is right, not saying it is because, believe me, people who know, 16 hands begin to pull chunks apart. Wide enough to basically lower down to twin-size mattress. Are we with you on that? My math was wrong. Anyway, but in this, look, I have some skills. I don't have others. Listen, here we go. They remove the roof above him. Now watch. As it gets bigger, I'm wondering if Jesus is just going, well, I've got to see how this ends. And I'm wondering if whoever's house is, and please let it be Peter's. Please let it be Peter's house. For all the things that Peter has done, this could not be the worst thing that's happening to him. But chunk, at some point, I mean, as they're trying to pull chunks in, some chunks have got, and, I, and maybe someone got clocked. You know what I'm saying? People are just making space. And then it becomes, here's my favorite moment. So they bring him up, they tie this stuff, and the four guys, and the guy on there is going, no, no, no. And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three. Hoi! Now think about it. You got to put yourself in that moment. You're on your back looking up at four faces who are grinning because they are getting their friend to Jesus. They're grinning. They don't know how they're going to pay for the roof. They haven't thought that far ahead. In my mind, these are Raiders fans. Does that make sense? <laughs> Niners fans would have never have done this. Raiders fans like, well, we'll figure it out later. Let's go. Okay. So they're lit. And literally, it's like an elevator. Ooh, and he, I love the fact that as he's coming down, he starts to wave at the, the people like, hey, how's it going? And he's just laying there. And Jesus is going, wow. Hear me say this. Jesus, I believe in all my heart. And his heart said, wow. And we're going to see that in Scripture. Folks, there's so many people in our lives where I wonder why I stop. Not that I need to drag them and throw them through a hole. But I need to have a conversation with them, have coffee with them, and then all of a sudden something comes up and I go, oh, well, I tried. I'm sure it wasn't meant to be. I'm sure there'll be another time. And they let, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love how that's so simply said, but if you just put your mind there, it's a crazy scene. And by the way, the Pharisees and the teachers are probably a little bit miffed. Hey, I came all the way from Jerusalem to hear this man speak. I didn't come for this. What's this? And sometimes we can get that way in the church. 
hey, I came to hear the message. I, I, didn't, I didn't come for all the extra stuff. I didn't come for extra drama. And I love this. And when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith. Are you hearing me? Not his faith. When he saw their faith, he went, wow. Wow. Nothing stopped them to get him here. It's interesting. You can do your study on your own, whether it's the woman who had the issue of blood, whether it's the woman who asked for scraps from the table of Jesus, whether it's the centurion. The times in which Jesus' eyes light up, I'm just telling you, watching scripture, is when people act in faith. He's not impressed with heritage. He's not impressed with how much you know. He's not impressed with knowledge. He's not impressed with good intentions. He's impressed with faith. And when he saw their faith, Watch this. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That's why I love this story. Because four guys went, hey, he's paralyzed. They did not, listen to me. They didn't bring their friend to have his sins forgiven because here's the problem. They didn't understand that his bigger issue was not his paralyzation, but his simpleness. They just wanted his friend to walk with them again and run with them again. I'm going to tell you something very important that you need to grasp. And I've said this every time I've, I've, I've given this message. It would have been better for this man to be carried home sin forgiven than to walk home and still in sin. Let me say that to you again. It would have been better for this man to be carried home sins forgiven than to walk home and still in his sins. And we need to understand that when we talk about our inner circle, when we talk about those people, what we're trying to do is not heal whatever issue they have or whatever financial struggle they're going through, whatever struggle. We're trying to get them to the person that can set them free from themselves. And the question then becomes, what are we going to do that is going to be that no roof is going to stop us? I will wreck a roof to get them here. I will wreck a roof to walk them here. I don't want you to drag them to church. Please don't hear me say that. I want you to drag them to the feet of Jesus with your life, how you live, and where you walk through. I have a person in my life right now, and I'm trying to model this because I don't want to be someone who just says, hey, go out and reach your inner circle. There's a guy in my inner circle, and I've been working my butt off just to be with him, be in his life. And right before Christmas, he came to me and just shared how horrible something had happened in his life. And, and then he asked me if I had prayed for him. Folks, that didn't happen over one coffee. That's been me going in daily, checking in. By the way, there was a project he needed done. I jumped in and, and helped him with that project and sweated with him and worked with him. Um, I'm not saying I made it any better. I think I messed up a saw. I think I cut all the board short. But listen, I was there. And now, and now, when we talk, we're not talking weather. He comes to me. He had one of his best friends commit suicide. 
And he pulled me out of his restaurant. He owns a restaurant. Pulled me out of his restaurant. He goes, can I just talk to you? He goes, what is this? I just got to hurt with him. And I'm going to ask myself, what, what roof do I have to wreck to get him to the foot of Jesus? Jody and I probably need to have him at our dinner table. We need to be at his dinner table. We need to walk with them. We need to find these ways of what is it? Because it could be easy saying, oh, he doesn't want to hear about Jesus. He has all the money. He has all the stuff. He has the house. He has it all. I look, I'm looking at an empty man when I talk to him. And when Jesus saw their faith, so I want to go back to this. So here's what I need you to see. Their faith. See, your faith has power. Your faith that if you can bring them to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit can do his transformational process is significant. And some of you are like, but I won't say the right thing. Did these guys do the right thing? They just got him to Jesus. I'm so afraid I, w- I won't have to be able to answer their questions. You have the greatest line in history. I don't know, but I can find out. That's what you have. You don't have to have all the answers right then. But you can have a servant's heart that says, how do I get you to Jesus? I think that what we do is we build up things in our minds that it becomes so crazy. But guess what? I'm sure these four guys somehow had to make the roof right, but they dealt with it afterwards. But what they did was they got their friend to Jesus. Now here's the thing. Jesus says your sins are forgiven, your sins are, your sins are forgiven, and the four guys are like, what? I think Jesus is going, time out, hold on, I got this. Watch. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. So they're having that internal dialogue that some of you are having right now in your own heads. Do I really care about my inner circle that much? Do I really care about these people? Would I wreck a roof to get them to Jesus? It's a big question, by the way. It's an absolutely huge question. Because it comes down to how much do you love them? How much are you willing to inconvenience yourself to wreck a roof for them? It's a big question, and you're, you're wrestling with that right now, because so am I. Would I wreck a roof? Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving his, in his spirit that thus they questioned, that they thus questioned, within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Now that's got to be a crazy moment that you're having this thought and Jesus goes, why are you thinking that? Right there, that's pretty godlike. Does that make sense? What number am I thinking? Five. Ah, right? He's got it. He is telling them what they're thinking in their hearts. You are thinking, how can I forgive? This is what his response is. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. By the way, both take a miracle. Someone say you that. Say amen to that. Both take a miracle. Our forgiveness of sins takes a miracle. To be absolved from the things that we have done takes a miracle. And so does it to say to someone whose body is not working, get up and walk. So he got them in a hard question because both are outside of human power or understanding. Both are. Which is easier, he says. 
Is it easier for me to say get up and walk? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Both are in this realm that is untouchable. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and you go home. And then, guy, this is why I love this story. Four guys began to cheer and jump up and down on what is now a very unstable ceiling because their friend's legs began to move. Now, I'm going to say probably as their friends, they were more excited that he could walk, but Jesus was more excited that he was forgiven. And this guy gets up. Gets up. Can't even imagine that moment that a paralyzed person would just get up. Reaches down, grabs his mat, sticks it underneath his arm, heads for the door. Four friends are scampering down to meet him down below, and they are, listen, jumping up and down. One of the first things this guy did on his brand new legs was jump up and down with his friends. Just like they had, this is a touchdown dance. You understand what I'm saying? I wonder how many steps he would check to go. Is this real? How long did he go before he goes, wow, I'm going to jump this. This is awesome. And he leaves behind a whole bunch of teachers and Pharisees who are now struggling because they don't believe that Jesus can forgive sins. But this man just got up and walked and Jesus just said, which is easier. And they're still wrestling with, is this the Christ? And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, let me say something to you. I believe that miracles are meant to underline the power of the word and the power of the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I have the power to forgive uh, sins. To do that, bam, get up and walk. When we see miracles, they're meant to point us to what the truth is of who God is and what he says is happening. And that's what happens here. Now, I want to share something with you. This is Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you hear the compassionate heart of our Lord? And here's my question, and I'm saying it to me, I'm not saying it to you, you just get to listen in. Do I have that kind of compassion for the people in my inner circle? Do I care that they are sheep without a shepherd? Do I care that I, in my belief system, hold the answer to life and the afterlife, and yet do I hold it in because do I care to wreck a roof? Do I care to wreck a roof? Jesus says, I made a way where there was no way. That's what he did on the cross. He made a way where there was no way. 
Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I want you to read with me as we see what God is about. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, meaning Christ is our example, he should be the one that encourages us. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full, in full accord of, and of one mind. So this idea of like, look, try to be like him, have the same love, have the same heart, have, be, uh, be in connection with him, accord, be in unity with him. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This inner circle that we talk about, are they more significant than you? Is their salvation more significant than you can imagine? Would you reach them because you care? Would you reach them because they're lost? A couple times in my life, I've been at a place and you see the crying kid, like at a amusement park or a, a supermarket. Supermarkets are one of my favorite places. Because here's the reason why. Because the kids are like all amazed by all the products and they easily just leave mom, right? But mom's one aisle away, but to them, mom is what? Gone. I love that sound so much. Because I know that in short order, that's going to be brought back with a hug and I love you, right? Because you just grab the kid. Okay, what's going on? Let's go find your mom. Here's the thing. They're lost. You have no problem grabbing that little kid's hand going, looking for the mom of this kid. And as soon as he, what does the kid do? Runs, grabs her leg, right? Does all this stuff. Folks, your friends are lost. And I believe they're crying. I do. They're crying when they're using alcohol or drugs to make themselves feel better. They're crying when they think money's going to be the answer. They're crying when they think this one relationship's going to handle everything. They're crying when, honestly, they think that this activity is going to be the thing that's going to give them hope and life. And you can grab them by the hand and bring them to the one who they would grab a hold of and find life. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only into his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Let me tell you something. Jesus wrecked the roof of sin. Jesus wrecked the roof of sin. The barrier between you having life eternal was sin, and Jesus came in and wrecked the roof. He wrecked the roof. And he said to you, I will make a way. I will get to you. And how do I get to you? I die for you. And I make it possible for you to get to me. And I can complete the chasm where literally you can come now to God. This is what he does. So, my favorite story in the Bible is not because of the paralytic. And to be honest, it's not even because of Jesus. Because Jesus just does what Jesus does. The reason why this is my favorite story in the Bible is because of their faith. Their faith. Because what it does is it gives me hope that when I actually do meet with someone and try to get them to the feet of Jesus, Jesus sees my faith and counts it and puts it into the process. If they don't have enough faith, I have faith. If they don't have enough hope, I have hope. 
If they don't have enough joy, I have enough joy. But here's the bigger question. Do I have enough faith to wreck the roof? Do I have enough faith to say nothing is going to stop me from getting my friend to Jesus? Because they're broken and they're hurting and they need hope and they need life and they need to dance with strong spiritual legs. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. It comes down to this. You've got to really go through your inner circle and go, do I love them enough? Again, someone was hurt on the side of the road, one of your friends, was, you would do whatever you could, you'd help with the physical therapy, you do, yes, all that's there, but how come we can't see the brokenness of the lost that are in our inner circle, and we say to himself, nothing is going to stop me from getting them to the feet of Jesus. Folks, that's on you. God's done all that he can do. He's made a way, he's made a path, he's given you opportunities, and the only person talking you out of it is you. Sorry. It's what it is. And you come up with all these reasons, and I'm just telling you, can you imagine if this was a story? Four guys carry a paralytic up to the house. They got there, the house was crowded, they went home. Maybe that did happen, but that didn't end up in God's word. What ended up in God's word is four guys said, get me a pick, get me some rope, we're getting my friend to Jesus. Folks, may we be people that wreck the roof. Wreck the roof. Because in doing so, a life is changed and someone is saved. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we come into this new year, We're not backing down on the heart of this church that people would get a heart to reach those in their inner circle. And maybe this is just a kick in, I know it's a kick in my pants of anyone to say, what do I need to do to get my friend to Jesus? And I don't believe it's as hard as wrecking a roof. I believe it's a lot simpler and yet we won't take those steps. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's servant, a servant's heart. But Father, may we have a heart that says, what does it take to wreck the roof? And God, may we walk out of here with a knowledge that we can look at our friends and go, yeah, I want to wreck that roof to get them to Jesus. Father, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And you will be blessed by our faith if we will trust in you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.